A couple of weeks ago, a family that we know had their house broken into while they were at their church helping with their church's VBS program. Their credit cards were stolen, their laptops were stolen, their safe, their jewelry. Of course, what do you think they do when they get home? Immediately, they got on the phone and started canceling their cards, changing their passwords, calling the police, etc. That's just what you do when things go missing like that, when things get stolen. Everything else gets put on hold. Doing what you can to retrieve your lost items becomes your number one priority. Now, put this into divine terms. Christians can fall from the faith. Christians can get snatched up and stolen by the devil due to their own negligence. And so what do you think God does when that happens? Do you think God decides that, well, I can wait and, and maybe he goes and, and takes a nap? No, of course not. The loss of one sinner is so important to God, much more important than any amount of earthly possessions could ever be. God's mercy and compassion for lost sinners is amazing, right? We know this. God loves a sinner like me. That's basic. It's obvious. It's even commonplace, right? Of course God loves sinners and should forgive and goes out to redeem sinners because that's just what nice people do, right? But could you imagine a situation where someone would be angry that God does this? That they would be angry at God's mercy Someone who thinks that God shouldn't show mercy to a sinner, that God shouldn't show compassion, that he should hold on to his anger against that person and pass over that person with his gifts and inheritance. Of course, we recognize that they would be extremely cruel. And yet this happens more than we recognize. Micah, in our Old Testament lesson, writes, Who is a God like you who forgives guilt and who passes over the rebellion of the survivors from his inheritance. Implicit in Micah's question is the fact that if Micah has to ask it, then this isn't so common, especially with the kind of mercy that God has. See, God doesn't have mercy for people who deserve it. That's generally how we show mercy, right? To those who, who somehow, in some way, have done something to earn it, or those who will look like maybe they'll make use of our compassion, or those who won't take advantage of our, our mercy that we show to them. We show mercy to people who deserve it. But listen again to Micah. Listen to God's mercy. God passes over the rebellion of the survivors from his inheritance. God shows mercy to people who rebelled against him, who wasted his inheritance. God does not hold on to his anger forever. He delights in showing mercy. Who does this? Who delights in showing mercy? Don't we usually delight in, in, in holding a grudge? That's the easiest thing for us to do. We begrudgingly let go of our anger 
And, and only that after, after a while, maybe after going to bed and forgetting about it or, or eating or whatever. But God delights in showing mercy and does not hold on to his anger. I want you to think to the parables uh, from our gospel lesson this morning. The parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And, and right after that, probably the most famous of them, which we didn't read this morning, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. The shepherd doesn't lose the sheep. The sheep runs away. The sheep leaves the safety of the fold. The father doesn't make the son run away. The, the son leaves by his own corrupt free will. But there's something most people get wrong about these parables, and especially the last one, the parable of the lost son. They think that the son came back by himself. That there was something good in him that caused him to return by his own free will. That one day he just woke up and decided to come back all on his own. But really this isn't the case. The son came back not suddenly because he became good, he came back because he remembered the mercy of his father. He remembered the goodness of his father. He remembered the love and the compassion of his father. He thinks that even a slave of his father is better off than the life he has now. And so he goes back. But before he even returns home, the father runs out to get him. And he doesn't even let his son ask to become a slave. But the father totally reinstates him as a son. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and holds a feast in his honor. This is what the shepherd does for the sheep. He leaves the 99 other sheep and goes to look for the one. The woman puts everything on hold to retrieve her lost coin. The coin, the sheep, and the son could not save themselves. They needed to be found. And so in each of these, the, the woman, the shepherd, and the father find what was lost, they celebrate. But do you remember the other son in the parable of the lost son? The older one. Do you remember what he does? He's angry. And he goes off and he sulks. He's angry at the compassion of his father. He doesn't think that his own brother, the prodigal son, was worth it. He complains how, how he has served his father faithfully for all these years, never, in his mind, never transgressing against the, the commandment of his father. And yet, in his view, his father never did anything like this for him. He thought the father should show mercy to people who deserve it. Like him. I was talking to an elderly man a while ago, a couple years ago, uh, someone who had been a Lutheran all of his life. And he told me about a time about 50 years ago when someone cheated him out of work. And he still held on to that. He still held a grudge about that. And he, he told me he prays every day that God would give that man what he deserved. And I asked him what that was. And he said, well, hell. And so I asked him what he thought he deserved. And he said, heaven. And I asked him why. And he said, well, I've never cheated anyone. I deserve it. 
This is the natural attitude for us all to have. We think God should show mercy on those who deserve it. Of course, we are always ones who deserve it. And if you don't think this describes you and your natural attitude, and, and it does me too, just ask yourself, when was the last time you didn't forgive someone? When was the last time you held a grudge against someone? Maybe when our, our spouse who wrongs us, who, who said something hurtful to us or did something that caused us harm, they come to us and, and they say that they're sorry, but instead of forgiving them, we throw it right back in their face. Or when a relative or a friend doesn't support us in the way that we'd like, and instead of talking to them about their sin and, and recognizing our own sin in the matter, we hold a grudge and, and choose to believe that we are 100% in the right refusing to acknowledge our own sinfulness, refusing to grant the other person even a little bit of mercy. Sometimes we think that God shouldn't go and save what is lost. Now, we might not ever say that, of course, but we show it because that's what we do. We don't show mercy we choose not to forgive. And if we don't forgive, we withhold God's salvation. But when we realize that we are the older son in the parable, that we were in just as rough shape, if not more than the prodigal son, only then can, be, can we begin to read these words from Micah in a new way. Who is a God like you who forgives guilt and who passes over the rebellion of the survivors from his inheritance? The same compassion God has for the worst of sinners, he has for me too. Because I too have despised his greatest inheritance, forgiveness. I also am the chief of sinners. Micah even says, he will have compassion on us again. We've sinned continually against God. We've done things that we think are right but are sinful in God's eyes. And yet God has compassion on us again and again and again and again. Micah says he will over overcome our guilty deeds this is what God has done in Jesus. Jesus had perfect compassion on sinners because we don't. Jesus gave his life for his enemies when we can barely spare a moment to show kindness to our friends. And Jesus gave his life for me. He overcame my guilty deeds and once more he throws them into the depths of the sea. Our sins, no matter how evil they are, what evil things that we have done, have been drowned in the waters of baptism. Our guilt has died with Christ in his death. And that means, not that we are to return to our sins. It'd be like if the prodigal son, after experiencing his father's mercy and tasting of his father's feast would go back to, to eating the food of pigs. And once said, we show the mercy and compassion 
of God by how now we treat others around us. We forgive them. We invite them to the feast too, to partake of the Lord's feast, the Lord's communion. We invite them to experience the Father's mercy because of the mercy the Father has shown to us. This is, after all, why you're here, right? Someone, maybe it was your parents or friends, was found by God through his word and sacraments. God gave them a rich inheritance through baptism and allowed them to experience his boundless mercy through his word and sacraments. And they, in turn, told you. And we could trace this all the way back to the beginning of the world. As Micah says, you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham as you swore to our fathers from days of old. Let me close with these words, these familiar words from the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Luther, in his explanation of the Catechism, writes what these words mean when we pray them. He says, We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins, nor on their account deny our prayer, for we are not worthy of anything that we ask, neither have we deserved it. But we pray that he would give us everything by grace, for we daily sin much, and deserve nothing but punishment. And we, on our part, will heartily forgive and readily do good to those who sin against us. Who is a God like this? He sought us when we were still sinners. He found us in Christ. He doesn't hold our sin against us. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us more. He gives us everything purely out of his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.